0: Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zelinsky. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Sheila Zelinsky Show. I want to remind people that if you're not listening on the customized app, you should try it out just simply type in weekend vigilante search for that in your app stores. And you can find it awesome app. It's so convenient. I get a lot of feedback about that app. And they're expensive. So take advantage of them. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube, we're going to have some exclusive interviews. For example, the Tom Horn, Steve Quell interview that I did this week. It's only available on YouTube. So subscribe to my YouTube. Follow me on Twitter and like my Weekend Vigilante Facebook page. Where can you find quick, simple links to that? Simply go to weekendvigilante.com and you'll see all those social media icons in the top right corner on the pink bar. Also, I added a new feature on my website. If you go to the right-hand side, you'll see something called events. Those are events that I'm going to be personally attending. So if you can get out to them, do that. And very lastly, I just want to remind people, This ministry is 100% listener supported. It is the end of the month. Things come due. I'm asking you to financially support this ministry. Prayerfully consider becoming a partner of this ministry, which means that you support it on a monthly basis. One-time donations are greatly appreciated, but it is very hard to budget on one-time donations. So please prayerfully consider Becoming a monthly partner. Your financial support is greatly appreciated in helping this program continue. And I'm very grateful to my loyal supporters. Thank you very much. Well, I want to jump right into the program because I have not had my guest, Carla Buton, in a long time. And I'm so excited to have her back on on a very timely teaching. A fellow minister, a friend, and she's also my partner in crime. That's crimes against the enemy. <laughs> Look out, demons. Jesus, I know, Paul, I know. They know this little cookie from the Lone Star State. It is the one and only Carlo Butod. Carlo, welcome back to the show. It has been way too long, my friend. Thanks, Sheila. I've missed you. I missed you too. And I'm so glad you're on today because judging from my emails and phone calls and people that contact me on social media, Boy, people are having a tough time keeping the faith. Carla, I'm going to give you the mic to teach and toss it back when you are ready.
1: All It's called How to Live by Faith in the Midst of a Battle. And uh, this is something that I have questioned the Lord about many years in my Christian walk. Uh, we read the scriptures like Habakkuk 2.4. It says, Behold, his soul is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And in Romans one seventeen it says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.12, And the law is not of faith, but the man that does, them shall live in them. So there are mentions of living by faith. And for years, I've wondered how one does that. How do we live by faith? It's almost become cliche. So that was my question to God, especially when you're in the midst of a battle when Satan has you questioning everything. And that's how I felt. But, you know, the older I get in the Lord, the more I begin to see that Things are not so much like I had them figured out, because there is a walk that is walked out by faith. And believe me, when when I was in the midst of this battle, I didn't have a clue what that meant. And for years, you know, you hear preachers and you think, oh, good, they're going to finally tell us how to live by faith. But nobody ever told me how to live by faith. They just always said, well, you got to have faith, you've got to build your faith, you've got to walk by faith and not by sight and all these things. And here are a few more scriptures that mention faith in itself. Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, even, you know, getting the promises has to do with faith. Galatians 3.22, the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Galatians 3.24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Galatians 3.26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See, that's a a deception that the world wants to tell everybody in the world, that you are God's children, but that's a deception. That's not true, because not all religions lead to God. No man comes to the Father but by me. Those were Jesus' words. Hebrews ten thirty-eight. now the just shall live by faith. So everyone who knows about these scriptures wants to live by faith, right? But in the midst of this battle, God revealed it to me in the midst of this battle, and it was a life changing i've not been the same since so i want to share that with you and it is how to live by faith because we will need to know these principles okay first let's look at some scripture to lay some groundwork genesis twelve seven, and the lord appeared unto abram and said unto thy seed will i give this land and there builded he an altar unto the lord who appeared unto him this is the first mention of this promised seed that God told Abram that he was going to have. Genesis thirteen fourteen And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Now, this was the second mention of this promised seed. I want to make another point in those scriptures. In Genesis thirteen fourteen, it says, And the Lord spoke to Abram after that lot was separated from him. You know, God told Abraham, Get thee up, get thee out of thy country and away from thy kindred. And Abram and Sarah did that but he dragged along with him his favorite nephew, Lot. And so really, the call that God had on Abraham's life didn't really even start until after he separated from Lot. I learned a lesson in that. You know, when God gives us an instruction, we need to follow the instruction and not try to, yeah, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do this along with it. No, because God didn't do anything with Abraham until after he separated from Lot. Okay, in Genesis 15, 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. See, Abraham had been told twice already that God was going to give him a seed. So now Abraham is questioning him because it hasn't come about yet, and he's beginning to lose hope in this promise. In Genesis fifteen four, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. God's answering him, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And then it said he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. That was the third mention of this seed, this promise to Abram. But years went by, and there was no child. And Sarah decided God needed some help, as we sometimes we do. You know, God gives us a word, and it's not coming about, so we think God needs a little help. And so they used a surrogate mother, one of Sarah's handmaidens. Abram was 86 years old when he had Ishmael. Then in Genesis 17:1 it says, When Abram was 90 years old and 9, okay, so he was 86 when Ishmael was born. Now he's 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make thy covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram but thy name shall be Abraham for a father of many nations have I made thee now this is a real important part of how to live by faith first of all Abraham was beginning to lose hope God comes back and reminds him of that covenant he said I'm going to change your name you're not going to be called Abram anymore but your name shall be Abraham and that means a father of a multitude so in the name change Prophecy was born into Abraham because now every time he said his name, he is saying, I am a father of a multitude. When before it was like, Well, what about this kid you promised me? And then he says, Hey, I'm gonna have to leave all my stuff to this heir in my house, a boy of the servant, because I haven't gotten this seed you promised me. You know how long it was in all that he waited for that promised child was 25 years. Now, here's the deal. Here is something promising to us in these two situations, actually. When he brought Lot along with him, and he was instructed to leave his kindred, and that was a mistake, really. But it didn't change God's plan for Abraham's life. It may have delayed it some, but it did not change God's original plan. That's important. I mean, because this is what I've learned. This is what I tell people. They feel like they've ruined their whole life by this mistake they've made. I said, listen to me. God is able to redeem even your mistakes. That's what he told me when I was heartbroken over my daughter getting pregnant and not being married. I just thought she had ruined her life, and I was so grieved about it. And God so sweetly one day said to me, my plans for Katie have not changed. And I was like, really, Lord? And he said, look at Abraham and Sarah. I made a promise to them of a seed, and they didn't wait it out. They had Ishmael. Big mistake. We're still dealing with Ishmael today. But it didn't change his original plan for the promised seed to come through Abraham. I just think that's beautiful, and it should be encouraging to us. Okay, so after he changes his name... In Genesis seventeen six, it says, And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and I will be their God so that was the fourth mention of the seed in Genesis seventeen fifteen. and God said unto Abraham as for thy wife as for Sarah thy wife thou shalt not call her name Sarah but Sarah shall be her name and the definition of Sarah is a mistress that is female noble it means lady princess and queen. I bet she liked that, huh? (laughs) And Genesis seventeen, sixteen, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations, kings and peoples shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh that Ishmael might live before thee. Now now he's trying to talk himself out of the seed. Hey, let's just go with Ishmael. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may be making, I may be trying to make the same deal with God if he came and told me I was gonna have a baby. <laughs> okay. So he laughed as in mockery. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time in the next year. So that was the fifth time that God told him about this seed. See, it wasn't just once. Abraham challenged him time and time again about that seed, just which is the same thing we do. I do the same thing. Lord, you told me, you know, anybody walking around in flesh has probably said that to God. Okay, so here is where my testimony in learning how to live by faith starts. But this story of Abraham was important because this is why it's so important to read the Word. Because when God brings something to me, it will remind me, oh, this is exactly kind of what he said to Abraham. Like I've said before about Moses, he told Moses, why are you calling on me? I gave you a rod of authority, lift up thy rod and use it. You know, there are many things that we can see our own selves in, in the scripture. So this was happened in 1998. Our son, if you've heard me talk about my children, our middle son went into rebellion at 16. He was in total rebellion. He went three weeks missing, left the house, didn't come home for three weeks. Well, as a mother, I was a little disturbed by that. So I called the police to report him missing. The policeman said, well, how old is this boy? I said, he's 17. And the cop said, well, he doesn't have to live at home if he doesn't want to. Oh. I said, really? I said, okay, so when he comes home, I can kick him out of the house. <laughs> oh, no, now, you can't kick him out till he's 18.
0: Oh.
1: I said, you know what, this is insane. <laughs> I hung up on that guy. (laughs) I kind of, you know, no disrespect to our law enforcement, but I've had dealings with policemen and courts and judges. And, oh, my goodness, I just, I don't have, I hope I'm never on trial. I'll just put it that way. So I would find my peace when Kyle was missing. I would lay down at night, and of course, here comes Satan. Well, what if this and what if that? He might be laying dead somewhere. Somebody probably killed him. He overdosed on drugs. All these things. Yeah. So it was real hard yeah. for me to sleep. My peace. I would before I went to bed. I would say, Lord, I know that you you see everything. Your eyes are upon him right now. I know you love him more than I know how to, and I trust you with his life. I'm laying him on your altar. So after the three weeks, he came home filthy and sick, and I wanted to kill him. (laughs) I was glad he was okay, but I wanted to kill him for making us worry. And I prayed about it. I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do here? And God told me to just love him and nurse him back to health. Okay, so I did this. After I had nursed him back to hell, he wanted to go to town and rent a movie. So I drove him to town to rent a movie. And on the way back, I, you know, Kyle has a sensitive, a tender heart. And I knew that he felt badly about the things that he had done, even though I didn't really even know the things that he had done. But I knew that he was feeling guilty about being disobedient and sinful and all those things. And I said, Kyle... I just want you to know that you will never do anything to get too far from God. But when you're ready to come back, you are going to need deliverance. Because it's like the first time you got drunk, you felt bad about it, you repented, you asked for forgiveness, God forgave you. The second time you got drunk or high on drugs, you felt bad about it, you asked God to forgive you, He forgave you but the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, uh, after a while you quit asking for forgiveness because you knew you were gonna do it again and again. And then when that happens, a demon comes in and takes up household. So you have demons from drugs, demons from alcohol, demons from pornography, demons from stealing, demons from lying, you're gonna need deliverance. And he looked at me so seriously soberly and stone-faced said to me, "Mom, I hate to tell you this, but the lifestyle you lead, I don't want anything to do with." And oh my goodness, it was like he stabbed me through and through, and it was very hard for me to get home without bursting into tears. So when I got home, my husband was outside and he saw us driving up, and he could see my face, and he came in the house. I went straight to my bedroom and shut the door. And my husband came in the bedroom and said, honey, if you could just, and I just threw my hands up, I said, I cannot hear anything right now. Because I knew even my husband didn't really agree with the way I did things or felt about things. So when he walked out, I just began to sob. I was in the deepest, darkest place, and I looked up, and across the bedroom, there's these three little precious pictures of my children when they were little bitty, you know, when there were no problems and other, you know, than just toddler stuff. And it just broke my heart. You think about the dreams that you have for your children and I was heartbroken. I was devastated. And I saw those pictures and I just said, oh God, how can this ever be better? And I just felt totally helpless. And while I was sitting there crying... I heard God say to me, as long as you look at sight and circumstances, this is where you're going to find yourself. And I had to stop crying to think about what he had said. He said again, you can continue to look at sight and circumstances, or you can stand on my word. And immediately, two scriptures fell on me. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's Proverbs 22, 6. And I'm telling you something. Something rose up in me. I, w- I was ready to fight it out with God. I did that, I said to him. I did that. And then the second one was Isaiah fifty four thirteen. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. And again, I did that. And then he said, then stand on my word. I was shocked. And then all of a sudden, I saw this timeline. It's like God held his hands up in front of my face. And with one hand, he said, look, here was the promise that I gave to you. And you did do that. You did it. Here is the manifestation of all that you did. And it was a span, like holding your arms out three or four feet apart. Here is the manifestation on this other side of the finished work of the promise. Okay? He said, but you're right here. And his finger was in the middle of that timeline. He said, I want you to come up here where I am and see your children as I see them. I see them already finished. Now that was hard for me to even imagine. How do I do that? You know, God, yeah, he's up there. He sees everything. He sees the end from the beginning. I don't. But what he was trying to tell me is that's what I want you to do. That's how you are going to be able to live by faith and not by sight, okay? So all of a sudden, I got it. I mean, it was a light bulb moment. I said, Lord, are you telling me that you want me to live right here where I am, like it's already all finished? That's what you want me to do? That is what he was wanting me to do, okay? That's how we live by faith. We don't live by what we see. We don't live even by the fact, the truth of the circumstances that we can see. Now, that sounds ludicrous, I know. (laughs) So, I had taken the promises of those two scriptures. I put them to work in the lives of our children, in our home. And now, by standing on God's Word, I need to live by faith until I receive the promise. What did that mean exactly? It's just like Abraham Abraham got a promise of a son. Listen, Abraham, it was important to have children then. He wanted a son. He wanted children. And God said, you're going to have a child. I'm going to give you one. Three or four times he told him that. And yet Abraham challenged God because where is this boy you told me I was going to have? Okay, so I was like saying, where are these obedient kids I'm supposed to have since I've trained them up in the way they should go? So Hebrews 11.1 1, says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here is my interpretation of that scripture. Faith, or believing what God says is true, becomes the vehicle that will cause the promise of those things you were hoping for to materialize. Or come out of the spiritual realm and materialize in the earth realm. When you have absolutely no indication at the moment that it's going to happen. I'm going to say that again. Faith, which is believing what God says is true, becomes the vehicle that will cause the promise of those things that you're hoping for to materialize when you have absolutely no indication at the moment that it's going to happen. Now that sounds ludicrous too. I knew from what God had said to me that he wanted me to believe that the promise I had acted on in his word was, in fact, true. No matter what I could see with my eyes. No matter what it looked like. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And I'll say this, when it comes to my kids, I can walk by faith much easier when they're not in my sight. <laughs> <laughs> so the next morning in my devotional were these scriptures from Romans chapter 4. Um, these scriptures confirmed what God had told me the day before. Okay, so how to live by faith can be summed up in four easy steps from these scriptures in Romans chapter 4. Verse it says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. See, we're talking about faith here. Abraham did not receive the promise through obeying the law, but through believing and receiving as truth what God had said to him, even though God had to say it to him five times. Okay, Romans 4.16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed god who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were now that is a principle of god that has been misused by people to the point that christians are afraid to even grasp this principle that's right what he did in changing abraham's name abram to abraham God was making Abraham call himself the father of many nations when he didn't even have a child. No seed, no heir at the time. So what he was actually doing, this is important now, because this goes along with Joel. It says that in the last times, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh, and my sons and my daughters shall what? Prophesy. Okay? Now... There's different kinds of prophesying. This one right here, it says, God did this. God called him things that were not as though they were. He was calling Abraham a father of many nations. God was basically making Abraham, not even as a suggestion, changed his name so that every time he said his name, he's basically saying, I am a father of many nations. I am a father of many nations. I bet that got a lot of laughs around town. (laughs) He actually was prophesying to himself the reality of the promise that God made to him of Isaac's birth before Isaac was ever born, before he was ever even conceived. Romans 4.18, here is step number one. Romans 4.18, who against hope believed in hope. Now, that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? Who, against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So what we see here is that in a hopeless situation, he held on to his hope that he would have the promise. So the first step is don't lose hope, no matter how hopeless the situation looks. See, in in Moses' situation, when he had his back against the Red Sea, they were in a hopeless situation. Pharaoh was coming after them, but Moses led the people right there. They were ready to kill him. You brought us out here just to have us killed?
0: (laughs) Well, actually, what they said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? What, you had to take us out to die in the desert?
1: (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really and truly. So he's crying out to God. He's trying to settle these people down. He really doesn't even know what to do. Can you, I can just (laughs) see him standing on a big rock on the side of the water, and and trying to calm these people down, all those multitudes of people. Fear not, fear not, for today ye shall see the hand of the Lord. Listen, he was inspired. (laughs) (laughs) He, He started prophesying to these people, and God interrupted him and said, Why are you crying out to me? That's in Exodus 14. Why are you crying out to me? But raise up thy rod and command the children to go forward. Now, Moses has his back to the sea, but the people are facing the sea. And God's telling him, tell them to go forward. I bet Moses was like, "Uh, did you not notice that there's a sea here? How am I going to tell these people to go forward? So God had to tell him what to do. He said, but lift up thy rod. God gave him that rod to perform miracles with. And yet, he's just holding it up in the air, trying to quiet the people down. God said, no, throw your arm out there and divide the sea, and they will go over on dry ground. See, Moses had to be taught how to prophesy. Same thing with Ezekiel in chapter 37. God said to Ezekiel, can these bones live? He was looking over a wide valley full of scattered and dried bones of people. And he said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's like, well, you're God. You ought to know. (laughs) And God said, speak to those bones. You go read it for yourself, Ezekiel 37. He taught Ezekiel. He said, say this to the bones. So Ezekiel said this to the bones. And when he did, there was a shaking. And the bones came together. And muscles and sinews and skin. And by the time he finished, there was an army standing there. Listen, this is a powerful Principle, and we need to learn it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in a hopeless situation, speak over that hopeless situation. Speak even that which seems hopeless to happen. That would be prophesying. Number two, Romans four nineteen. This is Abraham he's talking about, and being not weak in faith. So what does that mean? He was being strong in faith, right? Being not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Those were the facts. Those were what he could see with his eyes. This old man, he laughed at God that he could even have sex with his wife, I guess. (laughs) And she was way past childbearing age. She laughed, too. Sarah laughed, and so did Elizabeth. When Elizabeth was told that she was going to have a son, she laughed. And you know what? We're in good company when we get doubtful. I'll tell you what. One time I was on my way to, we moved out of town. We had been gone a long time. There were a lot of people in this other town that knew Mike and me and our children. And, of course, when you see people you haven't seen for a long time, one of the first things they say is, how's the children? I said, Lord, I am dreading this. You know, how's the children? Well, Wade joined the Mormon church. Kyle's in prison, and Katie doesn't know which end is up. I said, I'm not looking forward to that. I said, you know, I don't mind telling them the truth. I mean, listen, I'm an open book. I don't mind telling them the truth. But it's the looks on their faces that I end up having to console them (laughs) and comfort them at the news. But anyway, I really didn't expect God to say anything to me. But before I got there, he said, if anyone asks, about your children, you tell them that all three of them are in training for the ministry. And I laughed. I went, (laughs) that's a good one. And then I said, but Lord, I believe that. I believe that. You know, they look like they're totally lost. And of course, the devil would tell me every day, I've got all three of your kids. But the thing about it is, is they are living their testimony right now. I know and see, because of this calling things that are not as though they were and standing on God's word because he said what he said about the children, I thank him every day now. Lord, I thank you that all three of my children belong to you. They were all saved at an early age, baptized. I said, I am thankful they belong to you, and you only will they serve all the days of their life. And when they come back around, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. And Wade will be able to help those people who have been tricked into a cult. Kyle will be able to help young men who are tempted to go in the ways of lawlessness. And Katie will be able to help young girls not to make the same mistake. I believe that with all of my heart. And so, so that's what Abraham, being not weak in faith, he considered not the facts that he could see with his eyes. What he knew even to be true, he considered it not. Boy, I caught on to that one fast. When the phone would ring and I would see that it was the county jail, (laughs) I would say, I consider it not. Let me tell you, it's something, it's like the Holy Spirit will slice the air that you're breathing and change The atmosphere, that's what happens when you do things like that. See, if Satan can get us in fear, then he can keep us going the way he wants us to go, feeling defeated and sitting in a chair in a crumpled heap crying. That's what God was trying to tell me. If you keep this up, Mm -hmm. this is where you're going to find yourself. I did not want to be there in a crumpled heap crying. And this is why this was a life-changing revelation. Okay, so I had to start considering not what I saw, what were even the facts. If you're up against something right now and you're looking at the facts, the purpose of looking at those things is to cause you to doubt, question, want to quit, all these things. What happened to Peter when he took his eyes off Jesus when he was walking on the water? He took his eyes off Jesus, looked at the wind and the waves, He considered what he shouldn't have even been looking at.
0: When he was looking at his sight and circumstances, remember what the Lord told you?
1: That's exactly what he did. He took his eyes off the promise. He took his eyes off Jesus and looked away at the sight and circumstances, and he began to sink. And what what did Jesus say to him? Oh, ye of little faith. Why didn't you believe? He says He's probably saying that to us constantly, okay? He considered not the facts. He didn't care what it looked like. He paid no attention even to the truth of the things that he could see with his eyes. So I did, I made sure that I did what the Word said, lived by the Word of God, and yet we're having all this hell. And so here God is showing me that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, even though he said, well, hey, what about this seed you told me about? Hey, hey, what about that son? I'm going to have to leave my stuff to this servant's kid? See, Abraham was human too, but now, now that God, see what, what changed was that God changed his name. When he began to proclaim that I am a father of a multitude just by saying, my name is Abraham, he was prophesying to himself, and that you know, caused him not to stagger at the promise of God, but was strong in faith. This is the second part of that scripture, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, here's where we falter as humans. This is the whole point of the story of Job. Job was faithful no matter what. Even though all of his kids died, even though he lost all of his cows, he lost all of that. And the wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? No, he still had faith in God. He didn't understand what was going on, just like we don't when we go through those times. But he was faithful to the end, faithful to the end. You know, there's a scripture that says, enduring till the end. Those are the ones, those who endure to the end. There's something to be said for enduring. We want to give up we have a little temper tantrum when we don't get the things that we're expecting from God. But this changed my life. It says, giving glory to God, being faithful until the promise is manifested. That's what he wants us to do. Thanking God for it before it ever came. That's what I think. I think after he started calling himself Abraham, he started getting ready for this baby because God said, by this time next year, now there's a time limit on it, right? So he's thanking God for this baby. I thank you for this baby that's coming. I thank you for this baby that's coming before it ever came. In other words, it was a done deal. And he was living like he already had it. That's what glorified God. He believed he would have it. Have you ever heard it said some people give up just before the miracle? Yes. Just before the miracle. Hebrews ten thirty five says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. That's the promise. And then the fourth step is in Romans four twenty one. It says of Abraham, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. That's where the rubber meets the road. Amen. Do you believe God? Do you believe his word, his promises? Are you fully persuaded that that which God has promised, he is able also to to perform, and in Romans four twenty two it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. James two twenty three, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I'm telling you, when I read that that morning, that was it for me. I mean, it's like he laid out the blueprint, how to live by faith, and I was going to start putting those principles into practice. And when I was on the way to the office that morning after I read my devotional and got ready to go, I went to be with Mike at the office. And on the way to the office, I was thanking God for bringing me once again out of a pit of despair. I kid you not, the day before, the afternoon. It was probably about four in the afternoon when that happened in the chair that God showed me that. And I went in there sitting in the chair blubbering like there was no hope for tomorrow. And in an instant I went from a loser to a winner. God changed that situation very quickly. And then the next morning he sealed it with this word. And so on the way to the office I was Thanking God, just being, Lord, thank you for once again bringing me out of that pit of despair and changing me for the better. I'm telling you, I was so excited by what he was showing me. I was so convinced now that I said, and Lord, you know what? I'm not even going to beg you to save my husband anymore. I'm not kidding. I badgered my husband all the time. You need to be saved, you know? (laughs) treated him like an old heathen. But I wanted more than anything for him to be a Christian. Okay, so after 22 years of marriage and 22 years of doing everything I knew to do, saying everything I knew to say, I was so convinced that what God's Word says is true, that I said, I heard come out of my mouth, again, it's good to know the Word of God because He'll bring it to you when you need it. I heard myself say, I'm not even going to ask you to save my husband anymore. Lord, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that if someone has an unbelieving mate and they are pleased to dwell with you, then you're not to leave them for they are sanctified because of the mate's relationship with God. So that means that my husband is sanctified because I am a Christian, so I'm going to start treating him like he's already the man I want him to be. And would you believe, two weeks later, he got saved. (laughs) I was like, Lord, is that all it took was for me to take my hands off of it? Because forever I was at God, at God about Mike, at God about Mike. And one day the Lord said to me, What I do with Mike is none of your business. And I was like, yes, sir. Wow. (laughs) Wow, that was shocking. But it's true. Listen, I only have to be accountable for one person, and that is myself. It reminds me of that time that Jesus was walking with Peter, and he's telling Peter, you know, all the things he was going to have to face and everything. And John walks by, and Peter goes, well, what about him? And Jesus said, What is it to you if I let him live forever? It's none of your business, in other words. What happens with other people is really none of our business.
0: Wow, that is a truth bomb right there if I ever heard one. And we could all stand to listen to that and heed that advice. Mind your own business. What is it to you what God's doing with someone else? And that doesn't just apply to spouses, even ministries that are doing certain things. You don't worry about someone else's ministry. You worry about what God's called you to do.
1: That is exactly right. Um, That morning, okay, I'm saying I'm not even going to ask you to save my husband. Two weeks later, he gets saved. And then before I got to town, we live way out, out of town in the woods, and it's very rural. And I was on the highway. And right before I got to town, it was the strangest thing. But in the woods, you can can drive and it's real clear, and then you can come to an open spot. And depending on what's there, it's real foggy. I mean, I hit a dense fog. I should have pulled off the road is what I should have done. But I slowed way, way down. I was just almost like idling down the highway because I couldn't hardly see the end of the front of my car. It was so foggy. So I'm looking at that white line, you know, they paint a white line on the outside of the lane. I'm having to watch that white line to stay on the road. And I'm going real slow. And while I was driving, I heard, This is what it's like to live by faith and not by sight. See, I was on the road that goes to Jasper, but I couldn't see Jasper. But as long as I stayed on that road, and kept moving forward, not letting the fog stop me, but staying on course, I would make it to Jasper. And I was like, Lord, oh my gosh. I mean, he just, he confirmed it and confirmed it and confirmed it. That's why I say it is a life-changing experience that day in my chair where I went from crying hopeless, broken-hearted, to hardly not even touching the ground. I was so excited. Another time that this happened, okay, let's see. My first granddaughter is 11 now. She was born out of wedlock. Mike and I were distraught. That's the day, you know, that he said, look at Abraham and Sarah. They messed up, but my plans for Katie has not changed. Seven years later, she's pregnant again. I mean, this was so weird. It was right before Christmas. We were sitting in the living room. I wasn't thinking about that at all. I didn't even know it could happen twice, actually. But I was sitting there, and I was looking at her, and out of my mouth came, are you pregnant? And she was shocked, and I was shocked at the same time. She looked so surprised. And then I went, are you? And she was. And, oh, I was back down in the pit. (laughs) I mean, I went right back down into a pit, and I was there for about seven days. I just could not believe. Same baby daddy. They never married. They didn't live together. He was here. She was there, but they would still see each other. I didn't even know they were still seeing each other. And, you know, it's not like she was 16. She was 22 when she got pregnant the first time. Now she's 29 and pregnant again and still not married and living with Mike and me. So here I was devastated again. But you know what? One day, here comes God, and he says to me, you know, you're looking at this like it's a big old mountain. And I was like, oh, it is, isn't it? It is to me. <laughs> and God said, in the grand scheme of things, this is a blip on my radar. And I said, a blip? A blip? A blip. The more I said blip, it was I, I was getting it, you know, that this is not... The end of the world, yes, it's another mistake for sure, but I had to remember before what he had told me about Katie, but I staggered at his promise, but I had to consider not the facts. And in this seemingly hopeless situation, believed in hope, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised me, he was also able to perform. And at that, I started coming up out of the pit. And at the same time, it was just amazing. I'm coming up, the mountain's coming down. And when I got to the, to the level ground, the mountain was gone. The result is with each crisis, I am changed even more from glory to glory. Because for years, I had been in a good place where my children were concerned. I didn't even know if it was possible to be in a better place. But that's where he brought me to, a better place. This is what I know now. I told a friend of mine, she called me on New Year's Day. Well, Happy New Year. I said, we just found out that Katie's pregnant again. And she goes, oh, Carla. Because I said, no, 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 it really it's okay. I said, this is what I know now, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not prevented from being thrown into the fiery furnace. They went in. They were thrown in to the fire. But Daniel 3.27 says, The fire had no power over them. And they came out with not a hair singed nor having the smell of smoke. Why? Because Jesus was in the fire with them. And I'm telling you, my life has been so changed since then. This is just another little fire. But because Jesus is in it with me, this fire has no power over me. And I'll walk through this fire, and I'll come out on the other side without a hair singed nor the smell of smoke. I have practiced these principles so often that I don't even have to consider not anymore. I tell you, these distractions, they don't even matter anymore. When I tell people that, they look at me like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) 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 But listen... Psalm 57, 7 says, My heart is fixed, O God, and I will sing and give praise. Psalm one twelve seven says, I will not be afraid of evil tidings. My heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. That's where my trust is.
0: Amen. Well, and that is really where, Carla, all our trust should be. You said something really astute early in the show. You said it becomes cliché to have faith. But I'll tell you, this is a very encouraging message today. And let's end the show in praying for the listeners, especially deliverance prayer, because a lot of times what happens is there are spirits that are hindering people from being able to come into that place of faith. They can't move forward in God because they've got stuff going on there. So Carla, if you would, please lead us into
1: prayer. Lord, right now, I grant to each of us The gift of faith, faith to believe your word, faith to believe your promises, faith to stand on your word, faith that will not be moved, faith to be fully persuaded, faith for your hearts to be fixed, faith so you will not fear. I bind that spirit of fear right now that undermines faith. I've binded and break its power in the name of Jesus Christ. Fear, get out of God's people. They've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I break it, that fear, in Jesus' name. I loose upon you faith to receive it before you see it, and faith that works patience. I bind and break the power of unbelief and doubt. Go. Go. Get out in the name of Jesus. All doubt and unbelief, wavering, go in the name of Jesus. Double-mindedness, I bind you and break your power. Get out in the name of Jesus. For it is written, we have the mind of Christ. I activate right now that mind of Christ you received when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. I come against all staggering and skepticism. You go now in the name of Jesus. And listen, you're going to have to start telling it to go. When it comes, you bind it and break its power and tell it to go in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind all the distractions. I blind people to the distractions, the accuser of the brethren the spirit of magnification that Satan likes to put on every little problem they have to make it seem bigger than God. I bind that spirit now and break its power in the name of Jesus. I bind the results of bad reports on your life. When that bad report comes, you say, I consider not in the name of Jesus Christ. All disappointments, I break the disappointments off of your life the heavy-heartedness, broken-heartedness, you go in the name of Jesus. All hopelessness and despair, you go in the name of Jesus Christ. Devastation and being knocked off balance by something that jumps up and surprises you. All in the world those are is Satan jumping up and saying, Boo! And if he can scare you, he can knock you off balance. I bind that spirit now in the name of Jesus. I say shut up to all the naysayers. Lord, we close our ears to negative talk. I bind and break the lying spirits, the power of the lying spirits that stand around you and say, it'll never happen. You may as well just throw in the towel. God's not looking at you. He's forgotten you a long time ago. You lying spirit, I command you to shut up and go in the name of Jesus Christ. All spirits of being weary and well-doing and getting tired and fainting, you go in the name of Jesus. I bind the spirits of grief and sorrow that want to keep you downtrodden in the name of Jesus. And I loose upon you right now. I loose upon you joy. I loose upon you the love of God. I loose upon you a fresh anointing of your love. Father, give us a fresh anointing today of your love. Faith works by love. Give us more of your love, Lord. A fresh anointing of your Holy Ghost and power and might. We ask for that today, Lord. A fresh anointing of your strength to your people. A fresh anointing of your joy for the joy of The joy in you is our strength, a fresh anointing of your rest, O God, a fresh anointing of your peace, a fresh anointing of your blessed assurance, and a fresh anointing of confidence, Lord. We thank you, and we receive it right now, Lord. We receive it right now by faith before we see any evidence of it. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. Praise you. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for that, Carla. Very powerful. Carla, in the waning moments, give out your website for the folks, especially the new listeners.
1: Okay. It's Carla Butad. That's spelled C-A-R-L-A, B is in boy, U-T is in Tom, dot com.
0: And you have a darn good book called Power Prayers. I want to just... <laughs>
1: Yes, if you don't have one, it will be such a help to you, such a comfort. People tell me that it really has changed their lives in the way that they feel like they have power now. So that's the point.
0: Absolutely. It is one powerful arsenal. And if you are listening and you don't own Power Prayers, Warfare That Works, authored by Carla and myself, get it. Go to powerprayers.ca. This book will change your prayer life and it'll change your life. And if you're going to be out in Montrose, Colorado, at the WCCD, the West Coast Church of Deliverance Spring Conference in Montrose, Colorado, that's April 21st to the 23rd. If you can make it out to that, and Carl and I will sign your books, and I think we're going to have some too there. So do get out to that if you can. I'll tell you, it is going to be powerful. For more information, just go to my website, WeekendToVigilante.com, and click on Events. There's a little event button on the right hand side. Carla, it's a pleasure to have you on the program again. Thank you for coming on.
1: You're welcome. It's always great to be with you.
0: Folks, that was Carla Butide. CarlaBut.com. Her information is linked on the bio for March 31st, 2017. So in April, again, we're gonna get out to that West Coast Church of Deliverance spring conference. If you can get to Montrose, Colorado, I'll tell you what, it will be life-changing. That's with Sharon and Monty Mulkey. Monty Mulkey, of course, mentored by the big guns, Derek Prince, Wynne Worley, and Frank Hammond. Go to the calendar page at wccd.com. Thank you for tuning into the program today. We'll see you next week. Good night, and God bless you.